0: We read this morning from John 15 and John 16. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in the law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. and you will see me no more concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you." The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Let's pray together. Our God, we thank you that you are a God Who is not hidden, and neither are you silent, but you are a God who speaks. And so we pray this morning that as we turn to this your word, as we turn to you, Jesus, and we listen to your words to us, that you would help us to listen well and to receive and take in the things that you say to us, that we might um, abide in you, that we might trust you that we might grow in faith and love and hope in you. Uh, We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, maybe a few of you know that uh, last June I ran my first marathon. Uh, I've been kind of running for a while. Uh, it It was on my list of, you know, things that I wanted to do at some point, and Uh, One of my good friends from my time in this ministry called RUF uh, invited me to come run with him in Ohio. Uh, It was not exactly a beginner's marathon race. Some of the, yeah, there's laughter already from one side of the congregation, some of the experienced runners in our church, uh, some were just very encouraging and, you know, which I very much appreciated, And and then there was another one who was also encouraging, but told me this was going to be really hard, uh, which I also appreciated. So it was a trail marathon race, and it was a marathon race on uh, single-track, mountain-bike-type trails. Fairly significant elevation, at least for someone who's used to running around Chicago, where there's basically no elevation, about 4,000 feet of elevation. Um, And there are ways in which this passage and what Jesus is saying— that this metaphor of a marathon race really fits. Scripture itself uses uh, the, the race metaphor as a way to talk about the Christian life. I remember when uh, I got to the race and I checked in the day before, um, my friends and I who were going to run this race together, we went out on the trail. We did about a half-mile walk. And afterwards, I just remember thinking, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. like. This, this is like a hiking trail. This is not something that you run 26.2 miles on. Well, on the heels of last week's passage where Jesus spoke about the amazing fruitful life that comes through being connected to him, he quickly reminds the disciples of the challenges that lay ahead of them. So I want you first to just, we just read this passage, I want you to try to appreciate what it would have been like for the disciples. Like, try to step into their shoes. Jesus has been saying that he is going to leave. He's about to leave. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to rise again from the dead. He's going to ascend into heaven. But you as a disciple, like, you don't fully understand all of these things yet. All you're hearing is Jesus is about to leave This person who has taught you, who has been with you for the last three years, this person that you've become convinced is the Messiah of God and and also somehow God himself, this person who you've centered your life around is now going to leave and he's telling you that opposition and conflict is coming. Jesus is seeking to prepare His disciples for what's coming so that they can endure, so that they can follow Him, so that they can live for Him and and not fall away. And to do this, there's really two kind of themes that I think Jesus wants His disciples to hear and that He also wants us to hear this morning. Jesus says, Belonging to Me will mean conflict with the world. But be encouraged because God is sending the helper, the encourager, the advocate, his Holy Spirit. So let's think about these two themes this morning. First, that Jesus says to us, belonging to me will mean conflict with the world. So, I, I want to begin this by just acknowledging that likely here this morning there, there are many of us here who, who believe in Jesus and have been following Jesus perhaps for a very long time. But that it, it's quite likely that there are people here who you don't currently believe in Jesus or you wouldn't identify in that way or, or you've come into this space uh, asking questions, uh, struggling with doubts, wa- wanting to think about this. And let me say we're really, really glad that you're here As we consider what this passage says about the conflict that occurs between a follower of Jesus and those belonging to the world, I want to say at the outset that there are legitimate reasons why people have issues with Christianity and the church. And I don't have the time really to even like get into that. I don't think it would be helpful for us to really spend a lot of time in that, but suffice it to say throughout history there have been many things done in the name of Jesus that are evil and bad. I like the way the 20th century Anglican William Temple put it when he said, not all that the world hates about Christianity is good Christianity, but the world does hate good Christianity and always will. And while the world will be against good and true Christianity, a Christian is not called to hate the world. A Christian is called to love the world and to be for the world in a way that reflects how God loves the world and is for the world. Right? God showed his love for the world, the world that was bent against him and in rebellion against him by giving his son, by sending his son into the world. And likewise, Jesus says to his followers, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So, if you're here this morning like me as a believer, we are not called to be hostile to the world but to be for it in love, and yet there will be conflict with the world. And what I mean by the world, when the Gospel of John uses this term, the world, It's not talking about the earth as a physical space. It's not talking about God's creation. It's talking about the human world system that has been corrupted and darkened by sin, that's hostile to God, that's in rebellion against God, that rejects God. And if you look at the beginning of our passage, this is how the word world is being used. It's used six times in the opening two verses where Jesus says, if the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. He's talking about that world system that's hostile to God. And that's really what we see in the beginning part of this passage where Jesus talks about the unfounded and just baseless hatred that he experienced. If you look at verses 22 through 25, right, Jesus came and spoke telling the truth, but they, those belonging to the world, would not listen. Jesus came and he did what nobody else did. did, They saw amazing things that he did, and yet the world rejected him And we're going to sing about this very theme in uh, the song that we're going to sing at Communion today, the song called My Song is Love Unknown, which beautifully describes the love of God that came into the world in Jesus Christ and yet was met with just unfounded animosity and nonsensical violent hatred. This, This is how humanity responds to God in the flesh. He came to bring salvation, and we couldn't care less. One minute we're singing His praises, and then the next minute we're shouting, crucify Him. He heals, and He does these miracles. He he heals humanity, and yet the response is, we have to kill Him. We have to get rid of Him. When we're offered the chance to free Him from death, We choose to let a murderer go free and we slay the prince of life. This is what the gospel tells us is is the state of humanity, this world system that is against God to which all of us at some point belonged and perhaps some of us even still do. But Jesus came into this hostile world system that was against him to set us free from sin and condemnation. He came to love the unlovely, that by His love, He might transform us. And so, verse 19, for those of you who believe in Jesus, He says, you are not of the world. You are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. If you are a believer in Jesus, you're not a part of this world system. You belong to Jesus. You're not rooted in the world. You're rooted in Jesus. And and this connects to what we saw last week and the amazing things of what it means to be connected to Jesus by faith, because it means that we're connected to the healing and transforming life and love of God. And there are these just wonderful realities that we experience and we're meant to experience, like intimacy with God and knowing His love, having the joy of Jesus in us, dwelling in Jesus' words and commands and living this good life in and through him, praying and being transformed to desire and love what God loves. And yet here's the hard thing. Some of the things that are so precious to you if you are a believer are also the things that are going to bring conflict with the world. Because these things that we we just mentioned, uh, of the connection to God and the love of God and having God in your life and and surging with His love and, and desiring what He desires, these now become the points of conflict with the system that's against God. Because at root, this animosity and this hatred is theological. It is against God. It's against Jesus and the Father. And I think that we could even say as your life abides in Jesus and the more that that you demonstrate your connection to Jesus, the more that your life overflows with the fruitfulness of bearing fruit in and through Jesus, you will feel this homelessness and this rejection by the world system like you don't belong. So when I was doing campus ministry um, at the University of Delaware with RUF, I remember a student who came into our group. She was a second semester junior. Uh, she transferred into the University of Delaware. She was an athlete, college athlete. She was on the swim team. And as she came into our group, she was a very, very brand new Christian. But she was in our group for a year and a half until she graduated. And over that course of a year and a half time, I do not remember another student who grew more than this girl. She just like her love for God and for the scriptures and understanding of what it meant to belong to Jesus just flourished in our group. She had love for other students. She she was connected to the church. She was growing in all of these ways. She was wanting her non-Christian friends to, to come to know Jesus, to to come to church, to come to a Bible study or whatever. And yet, as I think back, she was probably one of the students that faced the most anger and ridicule, and just a sense of, you don't belong, because her swim team and her roommates wanted nothing to do with Jesus and nothing to do with Christianity. And in this passage, we even see what Jesus points out, that this conflict might come closer to home than you would have expected. Note, notice in the passage, when Jesus describes the conflict that disciples will face with the world who is he talking about? Who are the people that belong to the world? Verse 25, the word that is written in their law. These are Bible people. Chapter 16, verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogue. This is their own people. Jesus doesn't highlight the conflict that will happen with distant people, with with the Romans or the Greeks or uh, the Roman Empire or pagans, though, of course, you can read the book of Acts and you see that there's conflict there as well. No, the the conflict and the hatred that Jesus zeroes in on here is that which is going to hit closest to home. It's going to be their own people who hate them and reject them, their own race the people who used to go to temple and synagogue with them, the the people from their own tribe. And it's really hard if people don't like you. I think all of, I mean, who wants to not be liked? But but how much harder is it when it is your own people that are against you? Now, this can happen to anyone, but I want to specifically just say a few things. If if you're here as as a young person, and I feel really old saying young person, person but if you're here as a young person and by that I'm just going to define the age range of 10 to 20 years old if you're somewhere in that age range I would imagine that at some point perhaps even now you wonder if this God thing were so real and so true and so convincing wouldn't more people believe it I mean on my sports team at my school my friends Hardly anyone believes this. Wouldn't more people believe it if it was true? I'm not so sure. I mean, consider Jesus' life. Was He popular? Statistically, how well did He do? Was He believed and accepted by the majority? We, and probably most people, like to think that we're open-minded. We're very open-minded people. But Jesus' life and his words here remind us that we're not as open as we like to think. That there is this kind of strange bentness away from God and distrust of God. And at times, there is outright and unfounded animosity toward Jesus. Don't be caught off guard. Don't be surprised. Jesus says in in verse 1 of chapter 16, I've said these things to you to keep you from falling away. Don't think that because this isn't successful that it's not of God or that it's not true. Jesus is saying to his disciples and and all who will believe in him, don't be caught off guard if you face rejection, if people don't like you, if people hate you because you belong to me. And again, remember the larger context of what's been going on here. This larger section in John, Jesus has said to his disciples, you're going to bear fruit. You're going to take the gospel further and farther than I did. You're going to do this in a world that hates me and hates the Father and doesn't know me and is against me for no good reason, and they're going to be against you too. Which is why the second part of this passage is so incredibly important, because Jesus not only says these things about the challenge and the conflict, but he says those who believe and follow him, he tells us he and the Father are going to send the Holy Spirit. Be encouraged because God is sending his Holy Spirit, the helper. If you look at John 15, 26, and then again in chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit this one who is sent by the Father and the Son, and he uses this really rich, multi-layered word in Greek. It's parakletos, translated here as helper. And the image is one who comes alongside. It's, It's a person who encourages, helps, cares, and the word also has a, a legal flavor to it. So sometimes it's translated as advocate, like one who advocates in a court setting. And it's used four times in the Gospel of John and all in these chapters that we've been looking at recently. 14, 15, and 16. Jesus tells his disciples about this helper, the Paracletos, who he and the Father are going to send. The Holy Spirit, the one who is going to be with believers forever who's going to teach them and bring to remembrance all that Jesus has taught and said, who's going to bear witness about Jesus. As you go out into the world to be the witnesses of Jesus, to live in and through Jesus, he's saying, the Holy Spirit is with you. You have the helper with you. Uh, I'm going to borrow a illustration. I'm footnoting this. So this is from a, another pastor, a pastor connected to the ministry of RUF. Lots of RUF today in the sermon, sorry. Um, it's from the movie Good Will Hunting, which is, I think is a pretty great movie, but it's also really old now. 1997 is when it came out. We're getting 25 years or something, right? So it's Matt Damon, uh, Ben Affleck, Robin, Robin Williams, um, Matt Damon's character is this guy named Will, who's a 20 year old living in the rough neighborhood of South. Boston. I won't do it. Jeff can do better South Boston accent than I can. Um, Will is this incredibly smart, gifted guy. He, I mean, he's literally a genius. He, he has a photographic memory. He speed reads books and can remember everything, but he's also had an incredibly rough past. He's grown up in the foster care system, and this rough past has formed in him a self-protecting, angry, violent, kind of person that he's become, and right at the time that Will's math genius is discovered by this MIT professor, he gets into a street brawl that lands him in prison, and the MIT professor is able to keep him out of jail by, you know, basically he's going to go see a counselor, enter Robin Williams, and his character, Sean. So Sean and Will start meeting together, and it is a bit rough at first, if you've seen the movie, but eventually there's this connection that happens between Sean and Will as Will opens up more and more to him. And probably one of the most memorable scenes in the movie comes toward the end when Robin Williams' character is holding this file. And it's a file of Will's past basically it's a file of things he's done wrong it's a file of of his run-ins with the law but it's also a file that has all of these photographs of how Will in the foster care system had been abused he he had been physically abused and so they they begin talking about it and Will references the abuse and he and he says to Sean do you know anything about that and he says I actually I do and then in this small office Sean gets up and he starts moving toward Will and he says do you know what this means it means it's not your fault And Will Will nods and he goes yeah I know but Sean he comes closer and he says no it's not your fault and Will gets silent and Sean gets closer and he says it's not your fault And Will gets angry. He pushes him. He starts cursing at him. And Sean gets closer, like uncomfortably close. And he says, it's not your fault. And Will just bursts into tears. I mean, just like it is quite the scene as he's just weeping and sobbing. Because this counselor broke in. He broke into the life of this hardened, arrogant cocky guy and he breaks in and it is the turning point in Will's life. And the work of the Holy Spirit is both like that and also not like that. It's not like that in the scene that the Holy Spirit doesn't bring a file of all the really hard things that have happened to us in terms of our our trauma, our suffering, the sad things that have happened to us. Rather, through the witness of God's people in the word of the gospel, chapter 16, verse 8, the Holy Spirit does, in a sense, bring a file, and he comes to convict those in the world. He comes to lay bare and expose the guilt of people living in this world system against God. As the church bears witness to Jesus, the Spirit is at work, and He comes and He works on people, and He gets close. He gets closer than they would like, and He comes with a file of those things that we see in verse 8, convicting people of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But again, unlike the movie, the Holy Spirit comes close and He says, it is your fault. It's your fault, and you are wrong." He convicts about sin. He says, The real thing that is wrong in the world is that the world doesn't believe in Jesus. That is the root of the problem. You don't believe in Jesus. You refuse to believe in Jesus. And you don't have a good reason for it. And you are in darkness. And if you refuse to come to the light, you will perish. He comes and he, he comes in close and he convicts with regard to righteousness. And I think by this, Jesus means he exposes the inadequate righteousness of the world. One way that you might think about this is we and every person that you know, we have a way that we think is good to live and we have a way that we think is bad to live. We have a way of saying this is what righteousness looks like. This is what it looks like to live a good and right life. And if we're honest, we don't even live up to those standards. We hold other people accountable to those standards and we get mad when they don't do the standards but we don't even live up to those standards. And when the Holy Spirit comes and presses on our hearts the righteousness of Jesus, a life that was truly lived in the right and beautiful in every way, a life that was demonstrated to be righteous and then affirmed by God in the resurrection, the Spirit presses that home on us and we are undone. And then finally, the Holy Spirit comes and exposes that our judgment is wrong. That in our darkness and blindness and unbelief, the Spirit presses on us that we are on the wrong side, that we are on the side of the evil one, the liar. Judging Jesus and rejecting Him for no good reason. And yet through Jesus' death and resurrection, God has judged the evil one, the ruler of this world. And God has overturned the deeply perverted judgment of the world against His Son. And the Spirit graciously exposes this and shows us we are wrong. We are at fault. And then He points us to Jesus the one who took our sin, the one who fulfilled all righteousness, the one who faced judgment in our place that we might be born from above, that we might be children of God, that we might belong to God. The Spirit points us to Jesus. I love the way Martin Luther puts it when he writes, the poor Holy Spirit doesn't know any other subject. He just keeps pointing us to the person and work of Christ. Jesus says, those who belong to me will face conflict, but be encouraged because God sends his spirit, his helper, the advocate. Going back to uh, the trail marathon that I ran last year, the absolute hardest, most brutal parts of the race were those parts of the race where I was running alone. Uh, One of the things, I'm pretty sure I've never ran a road race, but one of the things that I think is different about a trail race compared to a road race is you're, you're in the woods, obviously, and there are not crowds of people lining where you're going. So when you are by yourself, you are hurt, you are tired, you are experiencing fatigue, and you're just alone. And then add to it, it's also, there's this mentally exhausting thing because again, difference with a road race, I think it's pretty hard to get lost on a road race. There's kind of the road and then there's people. But in a trail race, there are these nice little pink flags. And of course, if you miss one, you could be running like miles off course and aimlessly. Um, And so as I'm running by myself, those miles I am constantly thinking like did I see a pink flag did I see a pink flag where am I going did I miss one if I miss oh gosh if I missed one I'm going to be miles off I'm so tired I'm going to miss the rest stop I'm stressing myself out the most beautiful part of the race was this 12 12 to 10 mile section where I was running with two or three other runners two of them who had run the race multiple times and so I didn't think about anything I just put one foot in front of the other and kept going Jesus says to us in this passage, when you believe in me and you belong to me, I send my spirit to be with you forever. You are never alone. I send my Spirit who leads you into the truth, who reminds you of all of the things that I've taught you. You don't have to wonder, am I just running aimlessly in life? Is there any purpose to any of this? The Spirit, the one who was with Jesus in His earthly ministry, who has already gone the path, is with us and He's pointing the way and He knows no other way because the poor Holy Spirit only points us to christ this is the one who god has given us in his grace that we could be his witnesses that we can live the lives and bear the fruit that he's called us to in jesus amen let me invite us to a time of prayer we turn to this time of confession we believe that when we hear god's word the spirit is at work and he brings conviction And he does this because of his grace that we might speak to God honestly about those ways that we have turned from him this past week. The ways that we have sinned that we might be forgiven and refreshed and restored in and through Christ and his grace to us in Jesus. So I'll give us a few uh, moments to pray in silent confession and then I'll lead us in prayer.